If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. If you're new to our church, I want to welcome you. If you're watching online, I want to welcome you as well. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby to shake hands with folks. And if we've never met before, uh, I'd love to meet you and get your name before you head out. So please just stop by and say uh, hello. Before I get into my message, in a couple of weeks, we have a a Saturday seminar, um, and it's led by a friend of ours named Ken Shigematsu. Ken is a Japanese pastor, pastors in Vancouver, Canada, and he's leading a class called a seminar, Listening to God's Voice for Your Vocation, in terms of what, what has God called you to do in the world beyond just the job? What's What's, what has he called you, uniquely called you to do? How do you listen to God's voice uh, towards that end? And so Ken is uh, also, he's written a book recently, and he'll talk about, about it as well. It's called Survival Guide for the Soul, How to Flourish Spiritually in a World that Pressures Us to Achieve. And it's a great book. It's available downstairs for $10. And so uh, there's a lot of wonderful resources in our the little bookstore we have down there. So make sure you pick up one of these copies in anticipation of his visit. Now, today we're starting a, uh, an eight-week series on our rule of life. The rule of life, uh, not rules, we'll get to that in a moment. It's not rules, as in do this, don't do that. It's a rule of life, it's a framework, a simple structure that helps us to pay attention to Jesus in all that we do. And throughout this series, we're going to be exploring the framework of practices that hold us together as a church And in the process, throughout the course of the next couple of months, we will slowly, uh, and I'm going to spend most of the time slowly guiding you through creating your own personal rule as well. And so you should have received a bulletin, and in the bulletin, there's a little handout that looks just like this. If you don't have one, maybe just raise your hands, and one of our ushers will, will hand you one. But if you're watching online, maybe we'll post this online as well. But my hope is that you would take this with you at the end of a service. I'm going to give you some instructions. And my hope is that over the next couple of weeks, that you would take bring this to church with you, because we're going to slowly try to build a rule of life together. And our rule of life has four aspects to it, four dimensions of spiritual life. Uh, We classify them as prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And those four words are really about our relationships with with God upward, with ourselves inward, with others withward, with the world outward. And so it's upward, inward, withward, outward, upward, inward, withward. That sounds like a good exercise, right? It's just like... And so upward, inward, withward, outward, all right? That's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of months, just focusing on the different dimensions of it. Today, we're going to focus on the withward part of relationships. What does Jesus call us to do, and how does a rule of life support us in these endeavors? And so uh, our text is Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13 through 19, and this is our text for the day. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the names Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, 
Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is our text, a list of names. I know it's not making you all feel warm and fuzzy inside just reading. That's just names there. And yet I believe God has a word for us just with those names on the screen there. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us as we think about our rule of life as a church, our personal rule of life as it pertains to relationships. And so, Lord Jesus, we open ourselves to you through the power of the Spirit. Open our eyes, Lord, our ears, our hearts, that we would receive every gift you have for us on this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Today's message is going to be broken down in three different parts. The first part, I'm going to talk about what a rule of life is. The second part, I'm going to talk about our relationships part of the rule. And in the third, I'm going to lead us in beginning to think about how to craft a personal rule of life in the area of relationships. And so the first thing, what is a rule? What is our relationship part of the rule as a church? And then helping you to begin to think uh, clearly and intentionally about creating a rule of life, an intentional structure for the purpose of relationships. And so first, I want to talk about a rule. Kathleen Norris, she's an author and a poet. She, she wrote a wonderful little book called The Quotidian Mysteries. And I love the subtitles called Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. It's a small book, wonderful. And the premise of the book is that God is interested in every detail of human existence. Whether it's laundry, whether it's liturgy, worship, whether it's women's work, whatever it is, God is interested in every facet of human existence. Or as Gerard Manley Hopkins said, he says that the world is charged with the glory of God. And so Kathleen Norris, in this little book, she writes these words. She says, the Bible is full of evidence that God's attention is indeed fixed on the little things. But this is not because God is a great cosmic cop eager to catch us in minor transgressions, but simply because God loves us, loves us so much that the divine presence is revealed even in the meaningless workings of daily life. Now, when you look at the Bible, you see that the language and imagery of scripture affirms this paragraph here, because when you see Jesus in his preachings on the kingdom of God, you see that Jesus uses ordinary language to try to help us understand something about life in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus talks about bread. He talks about wine. He talks about water. He talks about light and darkness. He talks about seeds. He talks about plants. He talks about work. Every aspect of life is an opportunity to encounter the living God and is the means by which God forms us and shapes us because every aspect of life matters in the kingdom of God. And so as a core, uh, a core truth to the rule of life, which I'll define in a moment, is that a rule of life flows out of a particular understanding of the gospel. Namely, that creation has been renewed in Jesus Christ. That in his death and in his resurrection, the entire world changed. 
And when we attach ourselves to Jesus in faith, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And not only does he change our lives in terms of our past and forgiving us, but he gives us new eyes to see a renewed creation. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we hear this verse all the time, and it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is past, the new has come. Now, when we look at that verse, we tend to interpret it as, my old sins are gone, I'm a new person, I'm made new, uh, the, the new is here. And certainly there's some truth to that, lots of truth to that. But I like how N.T. Wright, a, a wonderful New Testament theologian, probably the world-renowned uh, scholar of the New Testament, he says the word in 1st, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is not just about if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's a larger than that. And so N.T. Wright says these words. He says we should translate it, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, comma, new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. In other words, when you're in Christ, you are able now to see differently. The world is seeing all the problems. The news will give you all the problems. But when you're in Christ, you're not avoiding the problems, you're not ignoring the problems, but you have a new vision. You can see new creation. Where people see problems, you see God's presence at work. Where people only see sickness, you see the possibility of healing. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. God has given you new eyes to see what is happening. And so Jesus Christ has transformed us, but he's given us a new way to see the world, which is why a rule of life is powerful. Because a rule of life helps us to examine every aspect of life under the lordship of Jesus. Because everything matters. Especially if you are in Christ, everything matters. And so whether we're talking about your sex life, whether you're talking about your money, your work life, your relationships, your spiritual practices, it all belongs to God. It all matters to God. And as a result, it's to matter to us as well. Now, when we think about a rule of life, we often get tripped up. And new lifers, been, we've been talking about this almost 15 years or so, and new lifers still get tripped up because we hear rule, we think rules. And we get, we resist that. Some of us resist rules. And this rule of life is not about what to do, what not to do. You better do this. You better not do that. That's not what we're getting at when we say a rule of life. A rule is in the Latin word, the Latin for rule is the word where we get trellis. And a trellis is a structure. It's a framework that a vine attaches itself to, to help it grow upward and outward bearing fruit. That's, that's all it is. It's a structure that a vine attaches itself to, to help it grow upward. It orients the vine in a particular direction. That's what a rule of life is. It's an intentional way, a structure to your life to help you grow upward and outward so that we can bear much fruit. Now, I like some definitions. Pastor Pete has talked about a rule of life in many contexts. And he, uh, he's, his offering, of, his definition is a rule of life is a structure or rhythm for our lives that enables us to pay attention to God in everything we do. In other words, we are trying to uh, 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 discourage compartmentalization where we say, this belongs to God, this belongs to me. This has to do with God, this has to, nothing to do with God. No, no, if you're in Christ, everything has to do with God. Which is why when people say, you, you know, I, I want to put God first, as if God is not second, third, fourth, and fifth. 
No, no, no. Every aspect belongs to God. And it, it enables us to pay attention to God in everything that we do. Ken Shigematsu, who I just uh, referenced here, he says, a rule of life is simply a rhythm of practices that empowers us to live well and grow more like Jesus by helping us experience God in everything. And so, again, a rule of life is not a to-do list. It's not, a, it's not creating a document to get uh, unattainable goals that you're never going to meet. A rule of life is about the healthy ordering of our lives, every aspect of our lives, as we seek to become like Jesus. And so, again, there are four aspects of it, prayer, rest, relationships, and work, upward, inward, withward, outward. But today we're going to focus on this idea of relationships. And how do we create a a rhythm, a structure to help us do essentially this, move towards others and grow in love? Our rule of life, God wants us very simply to move towards others. What does, what's the Christian life about? Moving towards others and growing in love. But we need help because we often don't move towards others. And we often have a hard time growing in love. We often move away from others or against others. But how do you move towards others and grow in love? And how do you have a rhythm of practices and a structure for your life to help you to do that? And so this is where we get to Mark chapter 3, where Jesus calls these disciples to himself, and then he calls them to each other. And from the very onset of the passage, we see very, something very wonderful, is that is God moves towards us. It says, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. The wonderful news of Christianity is that God is always moving towards you. God is always taking the first step towards you. We, we love God because he loved us first. God is always moving towards you. And in this passage, Jesus moves towards his disciples and he calls them to himself. This is Christianity in a nutshell. Christianity in a nutshell is this. Jesus calls, we come. That's Christianity. What's Christianity? Jesus calls, we come. Now, that's often not the case for our lives, because every day Jesus is calling, but every day we're not coming. (laughs) Amen, all right? (laughs) Every day the Holy Spirit is speaking, drawing us, pulling us to pray, to to, to read scripture, to, to, to encounter God. He calls us, but we don't always come, which is why that says, and they came to him is a miracle. Those words, those five words, and they came to him. That's a miracle of Christianity because we don't always come to him. But Jesus calls us and they come. The the Bible says after that, that this, the reason he calls them to himself is that first of all, that they might be with him. I love that. Jesus wants to be with you. He he doesn't just want to give you stuff to do. Certainly there's part of that, but he wants to be with them. This is the language of communion, the language of intimacy, the language of friendship, the language of life together. Jesus calls his disciples and he calls you to be with him, to enjoy fellowship with him, to enjoy life and peace that he offers. It's just a wonderful thing. But here is the issue. If we stop right here at this part of the verse, 
We could, we could conclude that Christianity is very simply about Jesus calling individuals to himself so that they could enjoy individual relationship with him. And that's where we get it really wrong. Because Christianity is not just about moving towards God. It's about moving towards others. And yet we live in a very individualistic society in which we just want, we just want a relationship, me and God. I just, I, I just, which is why I saw, I see t-shirts from time to time, and I hope you're not wearing this t-shirt today. It's, it says, I am the church. And I get what they're saying. I get when people say, I am the church. But this, here's what's, here's the problem about this. No individual within themselves is the church. We are the church. Together we are the church. Which is why when people, when they say my church, you know, I'm watching the television and my church is at home. That's nice. That could be a resource, but it's not a replacement. Until we are gathering as the people of God, there's no individual who is the church. We, plural, we, we are the church. And so Christianity is not about moving towards Jesus and just enjoying private fellowship with him in a kind of uh, uh, confession booth, me and Jesus, just, just having a good time together. Christianity is about the embrace of a community as well, which is why Jesus, it says, he calls the disciples to himself, and then right after that, we see that Jesus calls his disciples to each other. And this is where we don't like it. This is where it gets hard. Christianity would be so easy if it were not for people. It'd be easy. Oh, oh, easier, so much easier if it weren't for people. And yet Jesus, when he calls us to himself, he doesn't just call us to himself. He calls us to each other. And so Mark, the gospel writer, he he gives this wonderful words, and then he, he gives the list of the disciples who Jesus calls to himself. And I love that he shares the names on the roster. Because when you look at the names on the roster, you think these people have no business being together. They, most of them did not have similar interests. Most of them did not have similar personalities. One of the guys, Jesus calls them sons of thunder, which is because they, they want God's thunder and judgment to come on the land. And the other disciples like, take it easy, man. And, but gee, gee, they, they, these are angry people. These are people that just want to get along with people. They're in the same group. Different values, different political allegiances and convictions. And Jesus says, I want you guys to get together and move towards one another. When you look at two disciples in particular, you see these guys have nothing in common. And yet Jesus says, we're forming a new family. I want both of you in this group. In particular, I think about a guy named Matthew and a guy named Simon. And to understand just how different they are and the conversations that they might have had, Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a tax protester. Imagine those conversations there. <laughs> Matthew collected revenue for the Romans. Simon was a rebel against the Romans. Matthew was wealthy. Simon was a commoner. Matthew lived to make his money by overcharging people like Simon. Simon lived to kill people like Matthew. 
And Jesus says, we're in this together. Yeah. It's like Jesus walking down Manhattan and saying, all right, all right, Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow, you guys are in my group together. We're going to figure this out. We're moving towards each other in love. This is what's happening here. Jesus doesn't just draw people together. That's how we gather. We gather around people who we have lots of interests and similarities with, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all. But, if, but what we often want is just an echo chamber. We want someone who is just going to parrot back to me what I believe. We want someone who's, who's just going to echo what I say. We, we want people to look like us. And yet in the kingdom of God, God is gathering people from all different parts of the world, teaching us how to live life in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is intentional. He purposefully created this difficult community. He purposely did it. And in 1987, when New Life Fellowship was planted, it was planted with this in mind as well, to resist the homogeneous approach to doing church. Now, in some in church growth kind of movements, there is a principle known as the homogeneous unit principle. And what, the, what, what churches in the 80s and 90s were discovering was this. If you just build a church for people who are the same, you can grow that thing very quickly. And so get a bunch of people who look the same, who think the same, who have the same socioeconomic situation, gather them in together in a room, you can grow it very rapidly. They called it the homogeneous unit principle. And the homogeneous unit principle knows nothing about what, what Jesus is trying to do in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus gathers people together who have nothing in common and says, let's figure it out together. And this is what we're trying to be as a church. Just look around the room. Look at the diversity in this room. Look at the And I follow some of you on Facebook. I, I see how different we are. <laughs> we are very different. And yet Jesus is calling us to be a new family shaped and created by his spirit to, to be something that the world cannot shape and create. We're called to be a new family. And this is what Jesus is, 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 is having his disciples do. Are you moving towards each other? And are you growing in love? The reality is we often move away from each other or against each other. But moving towards each other and growing in love is the invitation for us. And this is hard work. Because we often have a vision of what community and church and relationships should look like. And it's often a vision that includes my comfort, my joy, my happiness. And that people essentially agree with whatever I think and say and believe. That's what we want. That's our dream. And what often happens is we, we, we end up loving our dream of community more than we actually love the community. We love the dream of it, but not the realities of it. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, a, a German man who was writing in the 30s and 40s, 1930s and 40s, he says this in his book, Life Together. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers 
of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may ever be, may be so ever honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Now, Jean Vanier, a wonderful writer who spent his time working with uh, mentally uh, handicapped people around the world and creating communities for folks around the world, he talks about, uh, he, he understands being in close proximity to difficult people. And he's created communities around the world. And he has a, there, there is a, 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 he calls it the three stages of community, the three phases or stages of it. And it's helpful for us to name this as we are in new life, name this as you're married, name this as you're dating, name this in your friendships. Because what he's going to talk about, and I'm going to share in a moment, has all kinds of application across the board. He says there are three phases or stages of life together. He says the first stage, and this is my phrase, is it's, it's the honeymoon stage. And in the honeymoon stage, almost everyone finds their early days in a community ideal. It all seems perfect. They seem unable to see the drawbacks. They see only what is good. Everyone seems great, exceptional, even angelic. Some of you come to New Life Fellowship, you're like, this is the best church ever. Stick around. Just stick around a little bit. Just hang around for a little bit. Oh, what a church. All the people, all this, and they're wonderful, and they receive me, and all that there. And you're in the honeymoon stage right now. You haven't been around long enough. This happens in dating relationships. You date someone, you don't see any faults. I mean, you're walking on water, their breath never stinks, the dishes don't get dirty. I I mean, you, you, you are in another reality, another dimension. It's called delusion. And it's wonderful. You have a wonderful, what C.S. Lewis called, the delightful preoccupation with the other. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. But sooner or later, those illusions you have, you become disillusioned. And this is where it gets hard. And Vanier says that first we have the honeymoon stage where everything is wonderful. And then he says we have what's called really the, the letdown stage. The letdown stage. And he says, he's talking about communities, and this is so important when we talk about churches as well, the kind of church that we want to be at New Life. He says, this is a letdown period generally linked to a time of tiredness, a sense of loneliness or homesickness, some setback, a brush with authority, faults abound, folks get on your nerves, and you may even begin to believe that you are surrounded by hypocrites who either think only of rules, regulations, and structures, or who are completely disorganized and incompetent. This is the phase where people tend to leave the community in search of an ideal one. And we've all done it. You come, you're worshiping, and all of a sudden there's a conflict that comes, and you go, this, this place is terrible. This church is terrible. I'm finding another church. And then you go. And you go to the honeymoon stage, you go, oh, this is so wonderful, this is fantastic. And then someone says something that you don't like. This church is terrible. I'm going to find another church. I mean, you'll be there your entire life. Which is why I say, listen, if, if you're perfect, if, if, if you're perfect, you're going to mess our church up, right? If you're perfect, you gonna, don't come if you're perfect. You're going to mess us up. All right? Don't come. Stay home if you're perfect. You're going to mess everything up. 
And so we have the honeymoon stage, then the letdown stage. People leave their church, they come to new life. People leave new life, they go to another church, trying to find something ideal. And certainly there's times to leave churches, don't hear me wrong where I say never leave a church. There are times where there's really unhealthy things happening and it's just not a safe community for you to be in, by all means. But what I'm saying is we often go to this honeymoon stage, letdown stage, and we end it right there. Vanier says we have the honeymoon stage, the letdown stage, and then if you can stick around a little bit, he calls the next stage, uh, go to the next slide for me, it's about covenant. It's the, it's the covenant stage at that point. And this is what he says as it gets on the screen. He says, if the second part, if the second phase is completed, that is the letdown stage, folks enter into this phase, one of genuine commitment. In this phase, members of the community are no longer saints or devils, but people each with a mixture of good and bad, darkness and light, each growing and, and, and each with their own hope. It is at this time of realism that people put their roots down. This community is neither heaven nor hell, but planted firmly on earth. And that's what, this is, new life is neither heaven nor is it hell. We are planted here firmly. We are mixture. And all of us individually, we are a mixture of light and darkness. And when we have a community, we're, so that means we're going to get some things right and we're going to get some things wrong. And by God's grace, when we get something wrong, may we repent, may we align ourselves with the gospel, may we align ourselves with Jesus Christ, may we get back on track here. But we are a mixture of light and darkness. And Jesus gathers people together in his name to create a community, a community that is identified not by a honeymoon stage, Not by a letdown, a community that is identified and formed by this covenant stage. Where we recognize your faults and in the name of Jesus, we are here to love each other, forgive each other, confront each other, correct each other in the name of Jesus, speaking truth in love. And this is the message of the New Testament. The message, the the gospel, people say, what is the gospel? The, The gospel message is not simply the message that when you die, you go to heaven. Listen, it's not even primarily that in the scriptures. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. The gospel is the message that in his death and resurrection, a new creation has begun. The gospel is the message that in Christ, a new family can be established. A family from all walks of life. A family that has nothing in common, but in the name of Jesus, we are able to transcend the obstacles and barriers that separate the world and create a new family in his name. This is the gospel. And so certainly, when I die, do I want to go to heaven? Of course I do. That's part of the gospel. But let's put it in perspective. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord in his death and resurrection. A creation has been renewed and a new family has been joined together. And so the question is, are we moving towards others? And growing in love. That's the fundamental question of our lives. Are we, move, are we avoiding others, attacking others, or being apart from others? Or are we moving towards others in love? That's the question. And most of our lives, it's often oriented by being apart from others, attacking others, or, uh, or being against others or so. And so how, what does it mean to move towards others to grow in love. I say all this to say, this is why we need a rule of life. 
We need an intentional set of practices, an intentional structure to our lives to help us move towards others for the sake of growing in love. That as a Christian, we cannot afford to be on autopilot. As a Christian, we cannot afford to be just reactive. On a Christian, we cannot afford to have a secondhand spirituality, living off of other people's spirituality. As a Christian, we need to cultivate for ourselves what does it mean to move towards others and to grow in love. Now, for our church, again, I mentioned our rule of life is comprised of four aspects to it. And at the center of it is the love of God. And it's important that that's at the center because the the rule of life is not about a to-do list. If you want to get in bondage here, see this as a to-do list, and you'll get in bondage very quickly. It's, It's The love of God is at the center. In other words, whatever you do here doesn't mean God loves you more. And if you don't do it, doesn't mean God loves you less. God's love is perfect. God's love is not based on what you do and what you don't do. That's human love. God's love is consistent. And so the center of it is, I want my life to be oriented, receive and give the love of God. And then for the sake of understanding the whole of life, these are the four different aspects of human existence we want to focus on upward, inward, withward, outward. And so our church rule is to inform our personal rule. And our church rule is is really when we're trying to summarize what we're trying to get at at our church. When someone says, I belong to New Life Fellowship Church, this community. We're saying, we, my prayer is that these four aspects of it, it's not exhaustive, but these are four aspects that you are wrestling through in your discipleship with Jesus, that we want to point others to Jesus. We want others to know of the saving love of, of Christ. Is our lives oriented towards that way? Are we applying emotionally healthy practices to love well? Are we bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers? Are we leading out of our marriages or our singleness. This is our church rule of life. Our church rule of life, then, is to inform our personal rule of life because all of us are different. And all of us need different things in different seasons to follow Jesus, to stay close to him and move towards others in love. And so what I want to do is I want to show you my current rule of life and this aspect of relationships. And I want to show you the things that I'm intentionally thinking through, intentionally praying through, intentionally trying to order my life in a particular way so I can move towards others in love as an expression of receiving and giving the love of Jesus. And so in my life right now, there's some elements to uh, my rule. And there's these just uh, these five aspects right now. Now, for you, it might be three, whatever. Let's not get caught up on how many's on here. As a, uh, as a rule of thumb, the more stuff on there, the, the more challenges you're going to have. So try to keep it to three or so. But for me, I want to have regular date nights with Rosie. I want to, this is my wife. I made a vow to her. She, she is always my first neighbor. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, my wife is always my first neighbor that I'm called to love with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and that respect there. And so, and so I want to have intentional times with Rosie. I, I want to be a father that moves towards his children. I hear too many stories of pastors who get caught up with the church, and their children are resentful. They hate the church. They don't want to go to church. I, I want to be a father that's moving towards his children and growing in love. 
And so it often means that at least there's weekly times where I'm playing with Karis and Nathan, where we're creating memories together. We're having joyful times together. When, when, when Friday nights come, and I remember Karis getting out of school, and we, we celebrate the Sabbath in our home on Friday nights, and she would say, Daddy, it's, it's the Sabbath, it's the Sabbath. And I go, why, why are you telling me? On the Sabbath, we get ice cream. We get ice cream on the Sabbath. <laughs> this is when she was about five years old, coming out of kindergarten. Oh, we got ice cream on the Sabbath. Let's get some ice cream there. We're going to get some ice cream there. We're going we're gonna to create memories. We're going to move towards. But I have to be thinking, how can I move towards my children? And growing in love with them. Rosie and I, we value having uh, dinners with other couples, particularly at New Life. From time to time, we, uh, monthly or so, we gather with other couples at New Life, at, around the table for dinner, to share a meal, to exchange stories. But this is part of our how do we grow in love and move towards others. I gather personally with three pastors every month on a video call to talk about what the struggles of pastoral ministry the pressures we experience. They are all lead pastors in different parts of the country. And we're talking about it every uh, once a month. I need to grow, move towards others to grow in love. And part of my rule of life is regular seasons of therapy. That I need to see a therapist. I need to grow in self-awareness. There's some brokenness from my past that God still needs to fix and, 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 and work on. And so I need seasons of therapy where I'm seeing a, a trained professional counselor, a therapist, to help me understand the ways that I can grow in my relationship with God and my relationship with others. This is my rule of life. And so when I look at my calendar, I'm not just randomly putting stuff on the calendar. I'm saying, how does my time reflect these values? How does my time and my money reflect these commitments? And the invitation for us is to do the same, not to be reactionary or on autopilot, but to surrender all of this to Jesus as he shapes and forms us. And so I want to give a couple of examples for your own life, and then I'm going to give you a couple of minutes, and then we'll sing together. But in your box there, if you will, there are certain things that you might want to consider, and I just put this up here to kind of get some thoughts flowing in you. For some of you, when it comes to moving towards others, a part of your rule of life might be a regular rhythm of gathering with fellow Christians, that you just need people who can pray with you and study scripture together, that you don't want to do Christianity alone. And so it might be a regular rhythm of gathering with fellow Christians. It might be date nights or whatever with your, with your spouse or with a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. It might be, I'm going to learn new skills to love well as part of my rule of life. I want to learn new skills and so whether I'm taking some courses that the church is offering or learning outside of the church, whatever, I want to learn new skills to grow in love. Or you might put on here, I want to intentionally stay connected to extended family. Some five years ago, I was, I was creating my rule of life, and I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to do in this area of relationships? And this is a prayer document. I'm not just throwing ideas that make me feel good. Lord, what do you, what do you want me to focus on? And I sense deeply the Holy Spirit saying, I, I want you to move towards your extended family. Most of my extended family some 15 years ago moved to Florida. And I, I lost connection with many of them. And I sense God saying, move towards them. And I, as I'm thinking about it, I sense like the Lord leading me to, to put together a family reunion. And I just thought, you know, let me put together a family. I called some of my aunts to help me 
administrate and organize. I mean, you're talking about 50 to 60 Puerto Ricans. I mean, this is, this is not a small thing here. You know? And they all got opinions, you know, and, and all this stuff here. And so let's, let's gather together. And so we created a three-day event in Florida. The first night was about, you know, it was dancing and food. It was dancing, food, and we, it, was, it was an award ceremony that we had for some of the elder uncles and aunts of our family. And I was emceeing the event. Everyone's in the, the, the crowd there. And one of the cousins or so would, would call up one of our uncles and give them kind of like, I mean, it was like the, the, the Grammys. It was like the Lifetime Achievement Award. You know, it was all that stuff there. And to receive the, 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 the emotion of it, the, the weeping, the gratitude. And the only thing I could look back and say, I was emceeing it. I'm looking to the side and seeing the bonding that's taking place in our family. And I said, this whole thing came out of me saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to move towards others in love? And certainly, I didn't administrate even the most of it. I had a lot of help in it. But this came out of a life of prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do? Your rule of life might be to lead or host a small group. But whatever it is, here's the question. Am I moving towards others and growing in love? That is the fundamental question of this aspect of the rule of life. And the prayer aspect is, am I moving towards God and growing in love? And the rest area is, am I moving towards myself and growing in love? In the work area, am I, am I, am I moving towards the world and growing in love? But for this point here, am I, am I moving towards others and growing in love? What I'd like you to do is just to take this out and invite the worship team to come forward. And you have an insert here, and, and just for the relationships box here, and what I want to invite you to bring this back next week and the week after that, because we want to slowly begin to build something together. But I wonder, who is God calling you to move towards? How is God calling you to grow in love? What does it look like for you to grow in love? What would it mean for you to grow in love? And what are the practices? What, what are the things you need around you? to do so. I'm going to give you two minutes. Just to, and my hope is that throughout the course of this week, you would be thinking about this. And then, Lord, how do I now order my life so that everything I do flows out of your love, surrendering every aspect of life to you? And so you might be able to put one thing in there, two things in there, whatever you sense God leading you to. Let's take about two minutes, and then we'll sing together. Take about another 30 seconds and then we'll, we'll sing together.
Lord Jesus, every aspect of life matters to you. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to see this area of our lives as one of worship unto you. Lord, may we move towards others and grow in love. And may you lead us and guide us through the power of your spirit. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Let's all stand and let's sing together. The atmosphere is team come forward to my left and by those offering the bread and the cup to come to my right we are invited to move towards others and move towards God but we are always reminded that God always moves towards us God is always moving towards us every single day of our lives every single moment God is moving towards us in love and how we reciprocate that that's now faith how we reciprocate that that is now discipleship that is now spiritual formation and so our prayer team is here to my left for whatever need you have maybe your relationships have not been marked by love 
They've been marked by pain, trauma, abuse. And so for you to even move towards others is a frightening prospect. And yet God wants to begin to heal and restore and renew so that our lives are truly marked by love. And so our prayer team is here for whatever needs you have. We have the Lord's table here with um, Rick and Carmen who will just offer the bread and the cup. And we are reminded that when Jesus Christ died, he dies not just to save souls. He dies to create a new family, to join us together. And so when we take the bread and the cup, may we say, Lord, may make me part of this family, Lord. May, may, I, may I all open doors of hospitality to others. May I move towards others in love. And lastly, one of the simple ways to apply this message downstairs in our shell room, right through those doors, we have a number of new small groups that are starting. And there should be an insert that just gives you a different list of groups. And maybe you've been coming to New Life, you've been coming on Sundays, but you haven't connected to a group of people that you can get to know they can get to know you, that you can pray with, that you can eat with, that you can study scripture with, that you can be on mission with, whatever it is. And so uh, maybe you can go downstairs to those doors or downstairs and uh, check out what God might have for you as you contemplate moving towards others. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're not a Christian here today, Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love. And he's always moving towards you. And if you've never said yes to him, that passage in Mark says, he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And today, if, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I could assure you he's calling you to himself. Now your response is, and they came to him. And a simple way is coming to him is coming to receive prayer to say, yes, I want to come to him. Well, right where you are, saying, I want to receive this Jesus who's calling me to himself. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, moving towards others and growing in love. And may you receive the boundless, unconditional, agape love of God and may it fill you to overflow this week. I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful and the loving name of Jesus. And everyone said, 